This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is the show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Tomorrow's the day. Uh, here we are, Christmas Eve, and tomorrow we celebrate the incarnation of of Christ, and we begin to really appropriate that mystery. I know that you know the secular world as you've gone shopping, as you've walked to all, into all the other places that you've had to be in your life. Christmas for them started all the way back on October thirty first, uh, but for us. But for us, we're just now entering into the Christmas season, and we've got a good long ways to go. So this is the f- tomorrow's the first day of Christmas, and then we have uh, even more than the traditional twelve days of Christmas because we move Epiphany to a Sunday, and then we actually take it beyond Epiphany to the baptism of the Lord. And if you want to get just really into it, well, you can. I, I give you permission. You can leave your decorations up all the way through the um, the the presentation of Christ in the temple, February second. You have so much time. Uh, so here, as we're in the Christmas season, I, I, almost, almost tomorrow, I'm just going to jump the gun just a little bit. Uh, as we're in this Christmas season, one of the things that's really stood out to me this year and to my family this year uh, is that that the practice of Advent and the practices that we engage in during Advent heighten our experience of Christmas in a particular way. Now, this isn't new information. We've talked about this before. But this year, we, my, my family, we've had some um, repairs going on in the house. So we've been out of the house and insurance has been putting us up somewhere else. And so our, all of our normal traditions of Advent kind of got delayed because we're not going to decorate the, uh, the, you know, the Airbnb with, um, with garland and with having the Christmas tree up. And so like we just got our Christmas tree on the fourth Sunday of Advent. Normally that's the day that we decorate it. And so, um, We typically put the lights up, get the tree on the second Sunday, put the lights up on the third Sunday, and then decorate it on the fourth Sunday. And all of that's been missing, and it's felt really odd coming into Christmas, even though we've done the Advent candle, even though we've done the daily readings, even though we've fed our intellect with the fact that Christmas is coming. There's something about that visual iconography that says Christmas is coming to meditate on the sights and the sounds and the the environment around you that helps us really to to jump into the Christmas season fully. And so I was over on Catholic Exchange the other day, um, and I came across this piece by by our our friend, and we've had him on the show a couple of times, Derek Roddy, uh, and he is breaking down a very specific art piece as part of Advent, and so I wanted to bring him on and talk about. Just that practice of what what do we gain through putting art in front of us, not just to look at, but actually to meditate on, to sit with, and to kind of Lexio Divina, uh, the art, even though, of course, it's not a Lexio at that point. I'm, not, I'm sure that there's going to be some Latin term for it that I'm not aware of, but um, I wanted to talk about that. And so, Derek, thank you again for joining us here on the show. It's always a pleasure, T.L. Thank you for, uh, I'm glad you read the article. I I, I hope many people did, uh, just to give them a deeper sense of or experience of and appreciation of of Advent and then leading into a, a really blessed Christmas season. Before we get into the conversation, Derek, I just want to point people to your website. Uh, it's Derek, D-E-R-E-K, 
Roddy, R-O-T-T-Y, DerekRoddy.com. And there you can find uh, all of the things, the, the the books and the articles, and find out all the other work that he's done. Derek, um, I wanted to look at this idea of meditating on art and get a sense of when you first uh, recognized the importance and maybe the the spiritual efficacy and power of meditating on these beautiful works of art that have been given to us. Great question. So I am a I am a historian by first academic training, and and then uh, also with a, a degree in theology. And um, as uh, so, so I was an American historian first, mm-hmm. right? That you know, and and there's not a uh, you know there's photography and stuff that goes with that, but it wasn't until I became Catholic and uh, really started diving into. Uh, the rich tradition, you know, coming out, especially out of the Middle Ages and into the Renaissance, that uh, that I started to to notice the the depth and the richness that was that's present in the Christian tradition specifically. Um, and then, quite honestly, TL, I uh, I've been uh, my wife and I have been homeschooling our uh, our high school son for the last two years, and we we're very passionately committed to. Uh, classical education and the classical curriculum rooted in the, you know, uh, the Western tradition. And as part of the history and theology, we very specifically uh, connected, you know, great pieces of art to that. And, and I've found in this little, uh, in this little cohort that I teach with him uh, and a few others, that the times that they get most excited and most engaged is when I ask them about art, hmm. um, they have to look at art. In in some cases, they've had to 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 teach me or teach the group about a piece of art, and I just notice more excitement. Uh, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with it's engaging more senses, and um, you know, so there's been a lot of little steps along the way. And then the the particular piece that you're talking about, I was in uh, I was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, a few years back for something with with my wife and and I took the kids to the Philadelphia Art Museum you know we did the the rocky on the top step you know <laughs> took that picture you know um, but inside this this uh, museum is it hangs right there Tanner's Annunciation and it just it was I gathered all I had four at the time I gathered all four of them to me and I said kids I want you to note this moment I want you to look at this this is one of the greatest pieces of art in the history of the world, and you're standing right here in front of it. Let's just take this in. And of course, one of them was like three, and one of them was like you know four, and you know, so they couldn't they couldn't understand it fully. But the older ones certainly, you know, at least for a few moments, were able to 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 grasp the gravity gravity of it. Uh, that's actually not the piece that I was reading, but I I, I saw that piece. I've got that okay. piece hanging up in our living room. Not, not obviously the original. Yeah, it's, but, it's my favorite. It's my uh, favorite. The piece that I saw was actually one on um, on Saint Joseph. Ah, yeah, so, the Goya piece. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm intrigued by, like I mentioned, I've got that piece hanging up in our living room. You see this right behind me. Um, for those who can see this on video, I've got the um, Our Lady of the New Advent uh, icon behind me here. There's art everywhere in my house, but so often it is a decoration. It's a thing that we look at as we're walking by and and we don't think to stop and stop 
stare and gaze and think about that piece and what it uh, allow that to be a source of our prayer. And icons specifically in the East are uh, not just paintings. They're not art per se. They are prayer aids that, that I think that we in the West don't clearly see as often, or maybe don't even know how to spend time and pray with that window into heaven of the icon. Which is, is I think so odd because our culture is so visual and so many people I've talked to over the years, I actually wrote a, another article for Catholic Exchange not too long before about poetry as prayer. And, you know, the, the similar concept that, you know, so, so many times we hear poetry and we think, oh, English class from, from 10th right. grade and we, you know, we don't, we, we move on, but without letting it affect our, you know, deeply impact our soul and our spiritual walk. And so, um, you know, yeah, it 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 uh, it needs to. We uh, we need to take time to look at these things uh, more fully and and for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. As you bring that up, uh, I, I think about you know praying with poetry, but how what what richness we have in Christmas carols, um, in, in praying through these really treatises on the incarnation that a lot of times we just kind of take for granted. We sing them two Sundays and then move on um, where they, there's just such richness in them. And in fact, that was one of the difficulties for me when I became Catholic, because when you go to, uh, to mass during Advent, you sing Advent hymns. Whereas when I was in the Protestant church, that whole season of Advent, those four Sundays, and then plus a little bit extra into Christmas, you would be singing these really, uh, beautiful Christmas carols and taking the time to meditate on them. Yeah. And so we, in our family, kind of the way that we've gotten around that is we have a, a PowerPoint more or less with all of our favorite Christmas carols. And then we have a party, a Christmas party that happens within the octave that we invite other families over to. And we say, it's kind of a potluck. We're going to provide the hot drinks. Everybody else y'all come over and bring your leftover Christmas treats and Christmas candies. And we're just going to sit around the house for a couple of hours and sing our favorite Christmas carols because they have such, um, such richness and theological education uh, that, that then the kids, they memorize those, they sing those, they're being given a really in-depth theological education through art. Right. Right. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned this. A uh, couple couple of thoughts on that. Number one, we um, we have a friend in in our diocese who is now the first consecrated virgin for our diocese, and this just happened uh, just just uh, the Saturday right before the fourth Sunday of Advent. And while it wasn't a Christmas hymn, the the hymn that we sang as the as the uh, entrance hymn. I just had to grab the the you know the the worship resource and take it because I said that's I have to spend time meditating on that. Um, and then second to that, I I have been teaching for uh, this past semester a parent formation group. Um, the kids are in their first communion year, and and so our parish has required uh, the parents to go through a year of formation as well. And what I spent the last session, right, you know, before uh, the Christmas break, uh, doing with them is how do we how do we celebrate Christmas 
as a, a season, not just the 25th, right? Trees are all down right. on the 26th. And I, I think the thing that you've described, TL, is is fantastic. I'm going to talk with my wife about seeing if we can't <laughs> figure out a way to do something like that, because that's the thing, to your point, that's the thing that gives us a uh, a good formation, right, in the reality of Christmas, but our kids remember it too. And and for for parent formation, right, what we need to do as parents is ensure that we're handing this on to our kids. And you're well aware that our kids are going to remember more, they're going to learn more by all of these methods instead of us sitting them down at the kitchen counter and saying, now, you know, copy this Bible verse, right? That, you know, there there can be a place for that, but we're we're human persons. We have intellect. We have memory. We have you know we have desires, right? And all these things play into how we we remember something, and we have to we have to access all those methods. Um, visio divina, right? That's what you were you were yeah. mentioning. The um, you know gazing at at some piece of art, or you know, well, a, a statue can be a p- piece of art as well, or an audio divina, right? I, I don't know what exactly that, but. You know, just really immerse yourself in those songs, which I have done. I, I tend to do, um, especially during Advent, when I go to my holy hour, for example, I turn on the, um, you know, the Advent at Ephesus CD um, mm-hmm. by the yeah. Benedictines, you know, and, and I'm very intentional. I do not turn on the Christmas music until mm-hmm. right before Christmas. And then I let that, you know, be the the Christmas tide right and and so yeah i think what you're describing is just it's a really uh fantastic way to do it and our um our our listeners should should do what they can to implement that i relented a couple of years ago we've got the advent of deficit cd um we have made an advent playlist that i i relented and said you know what if it's a if it's a traditional culturally traditional carol that isn't really about Christmas in terms of the incarnation, but it's about the trappings of the the societal Christmas. We can put that on. So like we've got, um, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas is kind of on that playlist, things like that, 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 that don't really affect our, our experience of the incarnation, but we do save those carols for here. We are, we're celebrating the incarnation. We're celebrating Christmas. And so now is the time that we're going to fill our ears with those with those songs. Yeah. So I want to spend a little bit of time for those who, who may not have a, a, maybe a good picture of this. What's the difference between sitting down and scrutinizing a piece of art or listening to a Christmas carol or even singing a Christmas carol and on the, uh, the obverse of that, praying with those things. What does it look like to pray with a piece of art, to meditate on a piece of art that's not just examining it and and maybe criti- uh, critically? Yeah. What does it look like to pray with a song rather than just memorizing it or singing it? Yeah. So it's it's interesting you you bring up this question too because I was, you know, thinking about this literally just yesterday. Um I uh I am not an art historian, okay? I am not a a scholar of art, as you you know reference here. Uh, so so what what have I done? Well, as I entered into this whole series, I said, well, I could do something along the lines of you know the the traditional uh, art artistic uh, 
criticism, if you will, right, where they talk about line and color and shape, you know, those those qualities of art as as art, right? Um, but that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to say, how does this this reality, this painting, help me to have a better advent? Or in the case, I mean, you could do it with Christmas. You could do it with uh, maybe Lent at some point. I, I write that series, um, which is, you know, you gaze at the thing as a whole and you say, okay, what's here? Yes, you need to say, okay, Mary, for example, in the Goya painting, Mary is over on the, you know, the left side kind of distant from the the center of the scene. Okay, what does that say um, analogously or what does that say about that? you know, that situation spiritually that she was in in that moment? And and how does that tell me how to be during Advent or how I can be different during Advent to ensure that something doesn't happen? And so you you look at it as a whole and you say, well, where is my eye drawn? And and what what spiritual reality does that does that draw out? Okay. And I you can you can think of this akin to Alexio Divina with scripture, um, mm-hmm. where when you read the scriptures, you read a passage and you don't you don't try to analyze the whole thing, even theologically. You take one small passage or one word that has really stood out to you that God wants to have a conversation with you in that in through that word. And and so you know, as I looked at these these uh, images, that certainly happened for me. Now, the thing that, as the author, has to sort of be translated a little bit, or or has to be changed a little bit, is everybody who reads the article is going to see something a little bit differently, and so I have to try to capture more of that than what what just affected me when I when I did the Visio Divina. So, um, I, I hope that answers your question. You know, somewhat. Yeah, so it, it does to this extent. We like uh, here in the Western world to have really hard and fast answers, right? We're looking at something, we're analyzing it, so we can come to the right conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got the the pros and the cons and the right and the wrong, and we figure it out, and now we have the answer. Mm-hmm. And what you're describing is much more open kind of Ignatian spirituality of, I'm going to treat this thing, whether it's this passage of scripture, whether it's this this Christmas carol, whether it's this piece of, of art from uh, from our rich history. And we're saying, I'm going to turn this moment, this physical or, or, or intellectual thing into a tent of meeting. This is now going to be my sanctuary where I'm going to come and put myself in this song, in this piece of art, in this piece of scripture, and I'm going to f- to wait until I meet with God here. And and so, the thing that might strike me today might be a different thing than than struck me last year with the same piece of music or the same piece right. of art, right? Because I'm a different person, right. and so I'm coming and I'm camping in this piece of art or this piece of music and saying. <clears throat> What does God have to say to me today here in a way similar to what you would do with your spouse of saying, I'm going to engage in something in some piece of, of conversation or some topic that we might've talked about a hundred times, but, but I'm going to do this together with my spouse today to find out where they are today and where I am today. Right. Right. And it's just the developing of that closeness 
using the means and the medium of this piece of art or this piece of music. Yeah, I, I do. I think that, you know, you, you've described it so well. Um, and I think that's so important in our spiritual life is not, is the incarnational spirituality, right? We, we are bodily, you know, our, we are not bodily beings, but we have bodies. We have ears to hear. We have eyes to see. We have, you know, fingers to touch. And, and that would be where, you know, I mean, even if an, an artist, for example, um, you know, iconography or, uh, you know, any other type of art that, that is our, our, our experience of that thing is deepened by touching, right? That, you know, sculpture particularly, I think could be something, um, in that, in that realm. Uh, You know, we, we have to recognize as Catholics that, that we can and should use all of those senses or, or allow all of those senses to, to open us up to what God wants to do to us, in us. Is there a, a piece this year, as you have gone through your Advent season preparing for Christmas, that has particularly stuck out to you, or or or, or through which God gave you a very specific message? <laughs> yes, uh, all of the, the so it's a six part series leading up to. Uh, to Christmas, so um, as of as of yesterday, I believe the the sixth uh, and final piece about the visitation was uh, was put up at Catholic Exchange. The one that that came more than any of the others, the one that stood out to me because of where I've been in my life during Advent and and you know not long before that, or or maybe long before that that I didn't even realize was. Um, the the painting um, by about uh, with John the Baptist in prison. Okay, mm. um, just this you know he's he's downcast. It's almost like his hopes are dashed, and you know he's wondering, did all of that stuff that I did, did it make a difference? Did it point people where it was supposed to? And uh, that you know that for me was 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 very poignant during the season. Um. You know, the, even the the piece before that with John the Baptist preaching. You know, John the Baptist is is fiery, and he's you know he's got this red garment that symbolizes martyrdom all around him, and and he's he's leaning on the um, you know the the tree that has been you know cut off at the root, as the as the scriptures say, and he's you know so you contrast that moment. With him sitting in prison, and you know he was he was all ready to go. He's ready to accept martyrdom, and then he's sitting in prison, and the the red garment is kind of tossed to the side. And he's, I think, you know, this is where the Lord spoke to me. He's wondering, was it? Did I do the right thing? Was it worth it? Um, so that that really did speak to me this year. H- have I been effective enough? Did I do the thing I was supposed to do? Yes. Um, that's. Now I'm going to have to go back and spend some time with that because that that's kind of the struggle for us all, um, thinking of our relationship with God in a transactional way, right? I have to do these things for God, specifically for those of us who at some point in time have worked in, with, or for the church. Like the, my my task, my identity, my purpose is to somehow be available to God and do all of these things for God. Um, and 
and that view, I think, sometimes muddies the waters, and we forget that that God came to us just for the relationship of it. And anything that we do out of that, any any activity, any service, anything that happens, is not is not uh, trying to earn or curry God's favor. Rather, it is in response to that all-surpassing favor that was poured out on us here at Christmas at this moment of incarnation where God God became man but God became vulnerable right the right. the invulnerable became vulnerable for the sake of relationship with us oh I could just sit there all day it is it's just really yeah and um I have had to come back to that many times this season. The Lord has led me back to that very reality that, you know, on, uh, underneath everything that's going on in my life, our life, my family life, the Lord just wants me to be present to Him without worrying, am I being effective? Am I, you know, um, am I am I being noticed, right? Um, that's why I come back many, many days to the litany of humility um, mm. that just, it, it calls that to mind. Like this isn't about any of my prowess or my notoriety. It's, it's about my relationship with the Lord. And and that's, that's ultimately all that's going to matter. You've heard this a thousand times. All of us have this idea that it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And, and I used to think of that in terms of, um, I have to do these specific things and my worth is found in these specific things. And, and not only that, but, but God wants these specific things for me. And I just, I have to listen hard enough to make sure I don't make a misstep and go the wrong way mm-hmm. because the way is narrow, right? That leads to to heaven. And that way, that narrow way is that way of vulnerability. It's not a way of a, of a specific path. And that's something I've had to come to, I think over a long time is realizing that, that that narrow way is just closeness to God. It's not discerning absolutely correctly or you're going to get smacked, right? That God is inviting us into a closeness with him, and it's in that closeness that we find that safety and security and not in towing the specific line. Yeah. That that amen. I <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. We're we're gonna continue this conversation after the break here in just a moment, but I wanna point people again over to Catholic Exchange. You've got that that series of six paintings. Even though we're almost through with Advent, you can kind of cram it in, you know, spend some time today uh here at Christmas Eve and meditate on those paintings. Give yourself a pathway to prepare yourself, even here at the very end, at the last minute, to experience the fullness of the joy of Christmas. We're talking today with Derek Roddy. Uh, He is a Catholic historian, theologian, author, a fellow convert. You can find his writing over at National Catholic Register, Catholic Exchange, where you'll find these pieces we're talking about today. Uh, And then also a book on our Sunday visitor called A Life of Conversion. Don't go anywhere because there is so much more to talk about as we are meditating on Christmas through art and music. Come join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And we'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. And it's almost Christmas. We're just almost there. Uh, We uh, are going to, my family's going to go to Midnight Mass tonight. We're really excited because we actually have a Midnight Mass tonight that starts at midnight. We always love it when we get that. And yes, we're insane. Yes, we have uh, eight kids between 15 and three. And yes, we still go to midnight mass because there's just something visceral about being absolutely exhausted and welcoming the Christ child in. Mm. And we don't expect, you know, this is probably one of those few times in the year where we don't expect the children to behave well at mass, right? You know, we have a certain expectations for them throughout the year, but midnight mass typically ends up with someone sprawled on the floor, uh, just completely out, out of it and leaning down and falling asleep. And you know what? That is part of the experience. Mm. Uh, Christ is born and we are exhausted, right? I I think in some way that, that we're kind of um, participating in Mary's sufferings on Christmas Eve by being exhausted and welcoming Christ in through our own exhaustion in some small infinitesimal way. Uh, We're talking today with Derek Roddy, who has written several pieces over at Catholic Exchange about meditating on art as a means of preparing ourselves for uh, for Christmas, doing that through the season of Advent. Uh, I want to point our, our attention now to doing that same thing in Christmas. Is there a specific piece of art or poetry? um, And we'll hold off on Christmas carols for the moment. Art or poetry that uh, arrests your attention as you meditate on the incarnation? Uh, Lots of them. I'm always struck by the ways that artists have been able to depict Jesus as the source of light, not a beam of light on Jesus, but Jesus as the source of light, which I, I I could you know swim in that for 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 days. Um, another one that um, actually the very first time I was on your show, Tia, we talked about an article that I had written that dealt with the gifts that the Magi brought, and they point us to the charisms that God mm-hmm. has given to each of us. And so I I, I like to um, I like to reflect on the the Magi and the you know the the particular gifts that they bring and how they point us to the the three uh, the triple munera the the three gifts of Christ or the three the threefold role of Christ as priest prophet and king. But this year, the thing that has really captured me, and I tried to I tried to hand this on to the the group of parents that I was working with, is uh, is the star, the mm. the prophecy from Numbers twenty four. And, you know, I've just been very keenly aware of the ways that the star is depicted and where it's depicted. And, um, you know, even encouraging them, for example, you know, to think of the, you know, in some way to think of the Christmas lights as we go around looking at Christmas lights, to think of those as as pointing us to that star. And, you know, so the, the star this year has really, really been been front and center for me. Yeah. The the idea, the the concept in art of Christ as the source of light is like you mentioned, is just 
one that fascinates me. There's one particular painting that I should know the name of, but I don't, uh, where, where he's depicted in the cave and you see uh, his mother leaning over him and the light, the painting is dark around all the edges, but the, the light just shines off of Christ. And, and so you see his, the, his mother's face illuminated. You see the walls illuminated. You see the animals kind of over on the side peering in and looking that, looking at that in connection to what we say in the creed, God from God, light from light, true God of true God. Um, That in some way, you know, it's not representing a physical reality, but it's representing a spirituality that in some way by Christ's incarnation, we see all things clearly. Mm That, that, that all of these things in our life that might seem dark or might not make sense, make sense and are made clear because Christ came. Absolutely. I think that's, uh, that's the thing that we are supposed to meditate on for the octave, the, the full season of Christmas or all the way to the presentation, because I think of, think of the presentation, right? It, it was formerly called Candlemas. Mm-hmm. Well, candles bear light, right? So what is the, you know, the significance there is that the the true light is brought into the temple, is presented in the temple. And as a matter of fact, um, it was, I can't remember what year it was. I I uh, reflected on um, Fra Angelico's uh, painting of the presentation. My wife and I were married on the feast day of Fra Angelico, not intentionally, but we found that out after you know, after a few years and, and we love Fra Angelico's art. So I've, um, you know, I did a, a meditation, I believe it was for Catholic exchange on that, mm-hmm. on his, uh, uh, painting of the presentation as well, which, you know, and make that point that, that, that's the, that's the fullness of, of what the Christmas, of what Christmas means. The incarnation is the beginning. It means something because of what comes after. Right. 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 That that Christ is now with us. Christ is fulfilling the promise that God's made throughout history that you will be my people and I will be your God and I will dwell among you. And here we have Jesus given the name Emmanuel, God with us. But that only means something because of the implications of what now that God is with us, now what? So we have Christmas and Christ has come. Great. Now what? How is that reality of Christmas going to reform and reshape our world? This first day of new creation as Christ is brought into the world, how how do we then therefore live in creation as creatures of this uncreated God who has now joined himself with created matter? It's it's a big question. Absolutely, I you, you, the silence. It just you know the way you're asking some of these questions. Just it 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 causes me to say, well, I need to spend a lot more time with that myself. <laughs> you know? We um our stocking holder. Of course, we we spread out our Christmas season. We do cr- the stockings on the feast of of Saint Nicholas. So we okay. we have our stocking holder out, and we don't have a a fireplace, and so we just have this large like. One by 12 by what, with as many kids as we got, probably 23 foot board um, (laughs) with so many hooks all the way through it. But uh, it's painted dark blue with gold lettering. My wife uh, 
put it together because she's one of those crafty people and honored it just in, in beautiful kind of handwritten painted font. It says a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. You know, the Christmas Carol, um, one of the things that's so interesting to me about that Christmas Carol is that it was written by a non-Christian. Mm. Here is someone who is synthesizing the gospel as best he understands it from an outside perspective and absolutely nails it. Mm. That that this is uh, that long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary. So, so wherever you, you know, this to me is the one that I meditate on each and every year. We've got it there. That looking at it, it's in front of us with our stockings. There's this aspect of anticipation because we do stockings before Christmas, and so it's there, staring at us the whole Advent season. What makes us weary? No. Yeah. As yeah. we look at our lives, identify what's that point this year that makes me weary. And will I, in the midst of this weariness, allow myself to fill that thrill of hope? And will I allow myself to rejoice? And will I allow myself to recognize the new and glorious morn? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that, that, um, I'm, I'm glad you, uh, you brought that, that carol, that hymn, up, oh holy night! It is. Um, I think that is my favorite of all of the Christmas hymns. Um, and and my my youngest son, who is now three, uh, somehow at, at some point he heard "Oh holy night," and he wanted mom and I to sing it every night before he goes to bed. So every night that I'm putting him to bed, I'm singing at least you know, a, a, a verse of that or the, the part that I can remember. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has offered me the opportunity to, to reflect on that each and every night that I'm putting him to bed. And it, it has a, the thrill of hope and the weary world rejoices. Right. And, and, um, again, I was going to mention to you, I've just finished another article. I don't, I don't know exactly which outlet it'll be on, but it's about, uh, Mario, Bartolome Mario's a uh, couple of works that he has related to the Christmas season and the Holy Family specifically, one of them being the flight into Egypt. I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, but I, as I was reflecting on that just, just the other day, um, I noticed for the first time, I had not noticed it before, the weary look on Joseph's face. Um, and, uh, you know, of course you can imagine the weariness of, you know, he's, somebody's trying to kill these, these, these two people I love and I'm charged with guarding and I've got to take a 200 mile walk. You know, I mean, yeah. that, that just makes me weary thinking about it, but it opens up that door for me to ask what has wearied me? Why am I weary recently? Is it, does it have to do with my, my, the way that my kids are, you know, the dynamics that are going on there. Is it something with my wife? Is it something with my work? And then that gives the opportunity to say, okay, is this something that God has just given into my life that I need to find 
you know, I need to connect with him. Yes, that's true. And then the follow-up question to that is, is there something that I can do to alleviate this weariness? Maybe there's not, okay? Maybe God has literally given that just so I draw close to him. But it also, back to your point about the Ignatian spirituality, I mean, each day the Ignatian examine asks us to reflect on how can we do differently tomorrow? How can we how can we be better? And so I think you have all of that wrapped up in that question of what makes me weary? What is making me weary? I, it's, a, it's fantastic. I, you know. Well, and I think to the point here at Christmas is we, we often think that we have to push through. We have all these parties. We've got all these things that we've got to make happen. We've got to make sure that we hit all of the, the right notes. So our children have the experience that we had as children, as children, that we can give them the magic of Christmas. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so often the cultural expectations around Christmas are to push all of our anxieties or worries to the side um, if we have anxieties about money, forget about them. We have to buy all of these specific kinds of gifts, the specific level of debt in order to meet our expectation and see the joy on our children's faces, which of course, parents know that uh, the number one, well, movie theaters know this too, right? The number one phrase that parents hear 30 minutes after the presents have been opened is I'm bored. What can I do? Right. <laughs> that there's this great anticipation and then people open the gifts and then there's this letdown. Um, and, and because we press so hard, we can't think about our own weariness. We can't think about our own uh, anxieties or struggles during Christmas. We have to push through to make it work for everybody else. We miss out on asking that question. What makes me weary? Because it's in that question that God wants to meet us. This is the whole purpose of the incarnation is not just uh, so that God can be over there for us to sing our Christmas carols about. And remember that 2000 years ago, he showed up. We talked about this on the show last week. The incarnation is an ever present reality. Mm -hmm. God was with us and God continues to be today with us. And if that's the case, he's with us in the slog. Mm So what makes me weary? And, and you bring up the good question of sometimes God gives us the weariness to draw us close to him. Sometimes the weariness is our own fault. But the reality regardless is that that thing that makes us weary is the place that the incarnation needs most to happen. Oh, yeah. And, and let me just say, I, I appreciate you so much bringing up the, the boredom aspect, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, you have eight kids. I think it's eight, right? Uh, yeah. I have I have five, and um, you know we we hear that frequently. And my wife and I have, you know, we're we're not masters at it, but we have just really become adept at saying, you know what, that's okay. Your your boredom can actually be a good thing for you. That means you have to go be creative. That means you have to go sit in silence and, and, you know, God remember in the, the old Testament story, I can't remember which, which one it particularly is, but God meets us in the whisper, not in the, you know, not in the flame, not in the earthquake. Well, boredom is like that whisper. Okay. I, I wait for boredom, (laughs) you know? Um, and, and so to, to pass that on to the kids is, is really important, especially during this quiet season of beauty. I think Christmas 
even I like Advent is needs to be quiet and it needs to be beautiful. And it leads us into Christmas, the incarnational reality. Um, just sit, just sit. I mean, I've, I've been very blessed over my career where I've worked at parishes that we actually do get that time off as, as vacation time. And it's been a blessing for me to be able to just sit and at the, at, you know, in those same days to, uh, to listen to these, these hymns and to, you know, view this, this sacred art and, and couple all of this together and then come, you know, January 6th or 8th or whatever day the epiphany falls on, you know, and, and just, oh, we're, we're, we're leaving that season. I, I love these, these two liturgical seasons, Advent and Christmas, probably more than any other for that reason. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Derek Roddy, Catholic historian, theologian, author, fellow convert, as you've mentioned here. Uh, you can find his work over at National Catholic Register, Catholic Exchange. And he's got a book over on OSV uh, called A Lifelong Conversion, Meeting Christ in the Gospels. Uh, Derek, it's been such a pleasure to have you today. It's been a pleasure as always, T.L. If you missed any part of my conversation with Derek Roddy or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You'll find a couple of previous episodes with Derek. If you want to go and listen to those, you can just click on the guest list there in the top menu bar, scroll down until you find his name, uh, and then listen to those episodes, one from Christmas a couple of years ago, and then also one about his book, A Life of Conversion, on our Sunday. Visitor Press. Both of those are well worth your time. And if you can't get enough, well, I've got good news. There is more. There's always more because each and every week we record an extra segment that we make available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Uh, Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air. And in gratitude, we give them that extra segment uh, in in video and audio form, depending on the tier. And I want to encourage you, while you're there at OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link. Go over and listen to some of the older extra segments, which are now made available to everyone. And consider whether or not you would like to be a part of that community. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking Scripture to the fathers and doctors of the church, the catechism, magisterial documents, biblical commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum. Our reading today from Holy Scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, and this is the the place where uh, John the Baptist has been born, and Zechariah, his father, gives us this beautiful uh, poem, in in all honesty. And, And so he gives us this poem for us to meditate on, as he obviously has been meditating on Uh, the promises of God, and is able to give them to us here in this form. And he says this, Zechariah, his father, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of his servant David. Through his prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. 
This was the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to set us free from the hand of our enemies, free to worship him without fear, holy and righteous in his sight all the days of our life. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us, to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. That reading again comes from the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter towards the end, uh, verses 67 through 79. And here, uh, a couple of things that I want to point out. One is this idea of what is it that makes you weary? What is it that we are weighed down by? Because here, the dawn from on high, in the tender compassion of our God, the light, uh, the light, God from God, light from light, that light shall dawn upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death, no matter what it is that is causing you to be weary in this season of your life. This is the moment, the incarnation that wants to break in, not 2,000 years ago, but wants to break into your current situation. The dawn from on high wants to break upon you, to shine on you as you are just smack dab right in the middle of your weariness and in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide your feet into the way of peace. This is the mystery of Christmas. The joy of Christmas is that Christ meets us where we are in this place, in our present darkness, to bring us freedom and hope and joy to the world because the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Our reading from church history today comes from a sermon by St. Bernard. The goodness and humanity of God our Savior have appeared in our midst. We thank God for the many consolations he has given us during this sad exile of our pilgrimage here on earth. Before the Son of God became man, his goodness was hidden, for God's mercy is eternal. But how could such goodness be recognized? It was promised but it was not experienced, and as a result, few believed in it. Often, and in many ways, the Lord used to speak through the prophets. Among other things, God said, I think thoughts of peace and not of affliction. But what did men respond? Thinking thoughts of affliction and knowing nothing of peace? They said, peace, peace, there is no peace. This response made the angels of peace weep bitterly saying, Lord, who has believed our message? But now men believe because they see with their own eyes and because God's testimony has now become even more credible. He has gone so far as to pitch his tent in the sun so even the dimmest eyes see him. Notice that peace is not promised but sent to us. It is no longer deferred, it is given. Peace is not prophesied, but achieved. It is as if God the Father sent upon the earth a purse full of his mercy. This purse was burst open during the Lord's passion to pour forth its hidden contents, the price of our redemption. It was only a small purse, but it was very full. 
As the scripture tells us, a little child has been given to us, but in him dwells all the fullness of the divine nature. The fullness of time brought with it the fullness of divinity. God's Son came in the flesh so that mortal men could see and recognize God's kindness. When God reveals his humanity, his goodness cannot possibly remain hidden. To show his kindness, what more could he do beyond taking my human form? My humanity, I say, not Adam's, that is, not as much as he had before his fall. How could he have shown his mercy more clearly than by taking on himself our condition? For our sake the word of God became as grass. What better proof could he have given of his love? Scripture says, Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him? Why does your heart go out to him? The Incarnation teaches us how much God cares for us and what he thinks and feels about us. We should stop thinking of our own sufferings and remember what he has suffered. Let us think of all the Lord has done for us, and then we shall realize how his goodness appears through his humanity. The lesser he became through his human nature, the greater was his goodness. The more he lowered himself for me, the dearer he is to me. The goodness and humanity of God our Savior have appeared, says the Apostle. Truly, great and manifest are the goodness and humanity of God. He has given us a most wonderful proof of his goodness by adding humanity to his own divine nature. That reading comes from a, a, a homily, a sermon by St. Bernard Abbott. And so here we see Christ has come to us as a child, as an infant, in vulnerability. He's come to us to offer himself fully to us that we may be made sharers in his nature, just as he has come to share in our nature. He lived through weariness and anguish and anxiety so that we, he lived through weariness and anguish. He experienced all of the things that you and I experience so that we could be sharers in his divine nature, so that we could be like him. This is the joy and the mystery and the absurdity of Christmas, that God who created the universe, the uncreated God, took on the created nature, to make those two natures compatible and to bring us to a place where we could experience that promise that we would be his people and he would be our God and he would dwell with us, Emmanuel. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, today's show was brought to you by Lexi and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more. And until next week, first of all, Merry Christmas. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you 